have some questions for you this week. I hope you don't mind. Perhaps your answers can make their way back to me one day. I can wait, my friend. Don't you worry. I am patient. First, how does one ride the subway? I don't mean the obvious, I know I must pay, enter, descend, board, wait, exit, ascend. I understand that part. I mean, I have been noticing that one absolutely does not make eye contact. One does not touch others any more than is absolutely necessary. One does not speak. One does not smile. The more you can keep your eyes down, the better you seem to be at riding the subway. Why? Is it not, and pardon me for using such a juvenile word, but fun? It calls itself a rocket. Ride the rocket. Forgive me my ignorance, but the first time I rode the rocket, I could not help but burst into delighted laughter and clap my hands. I have since learned not to do that. It's good that it's winter. If I wear gloves and a hat and a scarf and keep my eyes, teeth, and hands as hidden as possible, I am not terribly noticeable. I'm sure I still look unwell, but no one seems concerned with this, so excellent. As it has always been, those who appear on the edge of death are not unusual. Second question. I have asked for directions. Asked for the time, asked for information, recommendations, and every single time that I do so without fail, I'm met with surprise, and with everyone glancing down at what I have made the connection to being a phone. I know what a phone is. I may be ancient and I may sleep a lot, but I do come up long enough to learn these things and to adapt. I know they're cell phones, but I also want to know why such easy information is on these cell phones, and why such devoted focus is given to them. I asked someone what they were doing. They were texting, speaking with a friend, they said. Their best friend, in fact. I see many people of all ages communicating with their friends. It is... A lovely thing in its own way, but does it feel the same? Does it feel like I'm with you? That I'm your friend when I'm speaking with you like this? For me, it is a poor, poor substitute. One that I'm deliberately deceiving myself with. Telling myself that it is the same thing as real contact. Apparently it is a relatively new phenomenon in this world that friends do not necessarily speak face-to-face -face frequently, or sometimes even occasionally, rarely. Sometimes they pass years without seeing one another. Why is this? If the option is there. Your world is so fascinating on its own, I understand, but what could be more fascinating than each other? I'm confident that I had at least one close friend once. A friend that I must have loved very dearly. 
This is before... Before him. Not one of the friends that I've told you about. Not a story in my collection. Before all that. I cannot tell you their name or anything about them. But I know they existed. And I'm grateful for that existence. And I mourn the loss of them. I wish I could remember. This story is about friends. About two boys with an unshakable bond. One day, a little boy went out exploring on his own. He left his mother and father's home to go play in the dark, secret places by the riverside. Places that only children seem to find, and that only children seem to find beautiful. He wanted to search for things that he thought were magic. Things like snail shells, peep stones, robin's eggs, and tadpoles. Things he knew he couldn't keep, but would get to have and enjoy for at least a few hours. Playing by the riverside, he laughed and talked and sang to himself. He had no friends in town, you see, but he didn't mind. He sometimes wished for a friend, but he was happy with the river, too. His own magic play space. There were rabbit holes he would pester. There were old trees that had leaned together over time to make a fort underneath them with their branches. And there was a cave. A little cave covered in moss and mushrooms and spiders and weeds. And he never entered it. Today, however, he played a little too close to the cave. He was chipping away at a stone with another stone, trying to make it small enough and smooth enough to be a perfect skipping stone. Frustrated with its lack of cooperation, he worked harder and harder at it until he lost control of the stone in his right hand, and it was accidentally flung sharply into the cave, the sound of it skittering, echoing in its depths. It was deep, much, much deeper than he might have ever guessed it was. The silence that followed was deafening. No birds, no animals, just silence. Then he heard a small splash coming from the river, something like a soft ripple throughout the water. He turned around and saw nothing, though the water had been gently disturbed, he could see. Hello? He called out. Then he heard something rustling in the bushes. He turned around again, yet there was nothing there. He was suddenly aware of how alone he was. He placed his makeshift bundle of river treasures on the bank and stood, taking a step backward. I like your things, a voice said behind him, especially the snail shells. He spun around and there was a little boy. About his age. Well, more like exactly his age. Exactly his height, anyway. Wearing exactly the same clothes, except for the shoes. He was barefoot, his feet covered thoroughly in mud. His face was similar, but not the same. Close, though. A stranger might mistake them for brothers. Thank you, the boy answered, puzzled by this newcomer. Where did you come from? He asked. I live here, the stranger answered. 
I came from there. He pointed towards the cave. His fingernails were dirty and unusually long. All alone? the boy asked. Yes, the stranger nodded slowly. All alone, but I've seen you play here before. I saved you these. He pulled from his pocket a handful of crystals. Beautiful, each one a different color. Will you be my friend? The boy beamed at the gift and at the offer and nodded. The two boys played the whole day through. As the sun was about to set, the boy said, I must go home now. You could come over for dinner. But the stranger shook his head sadly. I don't think so. Not tonight. But I will see you again. The boy went home and told his parents of his friend at the river. A little boy who lives there by himself and gave him crystals and has no shoes. But he had forgotten to take the crystals home, and his parents played along and agreed that he did indeed make an unusual, interesting friend that day. And so the next day, he returned to the river, to the exact same spot. He stood for some time, not quite sure who to call or how to call out for him. How did he live here? Was it a good life? Was he lonely? But sure enough, the boy appeared. And they spent another day together. And the day after that, and the day after that. And every day that he could make it out to the riverside or to the cave, he would. And sometimes he'd bring him pieces of bread or cake or berries or coins or small toys. And the stranger would give him crystals, stones with strange markings on them, small bones and other unusual things. They talked. The strange boy would ask about the other's home and his family. He was even beginning to learn how to read with his friend's help. And at the same time, our village boy would learn things about the forest. Where to go, where not to go. How to protect oneself in the world. How to arrange bones and stones and crystals into shapes in the dirt to cast a spell to ask for things. He learned ancient names for the animals, places, and even spirits. He learned how, if he concentrated hard enough, he could make himself gently rise off the ground as though hovering. He learned how to whisper a strange hex in church that would make the priest forget his words so that the mass would be dismissed early. He did not think anything of these things. They worked, and he used them occasionally, but he did not think they were malicious or cruel or evil. After several months of playing with his new friend, he spoke about a bully who would often catch him alone in the small village and beat him, shove him in the dirt. You can stop him, just like you stop the priest. I can show you a hex that will make his head ache as if it's on fire from the inside for a week. That's terrible, our village boy answered. I don't want to do that to him. Why, though, if he wants to hurt you? The strange boy was perplexed. And they spoke for hours on the nature of pain and vengeance, right and wrong. And the strange boy learned about goodness and forgiveness. You've given me a great gift, he told his friend. Better than what I've told you about the forest and the spirits and of magic. And the boys would watch the sun set, eating cakes and berries, and they often sang to each other a tender song. 
Never, oh, never, my friend, my friend, will I ever leave you. I will be yours till the end, the end, forever I'll be yours. And the boys grew up together. The boy from the village lamented the fact that his friend could never come into town, but he still visited him every day. As they grew up, they still looked similar. Any time the village boy came to visit, he began to realize that the strange boy would have the exact same outfit every time, and that his hair was cut the exact same way, and that they were always the same height, and they always looked somewhat similar except for those long, dirty fingernails and those muddy feet. At age nine, he did not mention it. At age eleven, he wondered, but he did not mention it. Finally, at age thirteen, he said, How is it that you always look like me? Where do you get your clothes? Who cuts your hair if you're alone? And the strange boy said, Let's talk and dig for snails. Why won't you tell me? Shall I show you the oldest tree in this forest? Teach you his name? Ah, the strange boy would not answer. In fact, he seemed nervous. Afraid, even. And the village boy began to visit less frequently. Over the years, though he had no better friend in town, he started to abandon his best friend, the strange boy by the river, for other pursuits. Apprenticing at his father's workshop, helping his mother care for his younger siblings, trying to get to know the girls and boys his age in town. No matter how hard he tried and how hard his parents encouraged him to make friends, for their patience had long ago grown thin of this disappearing into the riverside. No one compared to this strange poor boy in the woods. The strange boy by the river. The feeling that he had when they spoke about the beautiful things in the world for hours and hours, the peaceful feeling of watching a warm sunset with a friend, the excitement of racing him to the water and jumping in. He couldn't go back. He couldn't keep going back. He needed to root himself in reality, in the village. Years went by without visiting his poor, strange friend. He was twenty now and working in the shop for his father full-time. He had practically raised his brothers and sisters, even seen some of them leave home for higher pursuits. He sold his crystals to buy a suit to go to church and to no longer pester the priest. He had saved up for years to buy his own home, but lived close to his family and took care of them. He was living his life as he believed he was meant to. He never spoke about the ancient forest, the ancient forest spells, the language of the trees. He never spoke of the spirits and of magic. It was his beautiful secret, but guilt began to rack him as he felt for his friend. He ached with the knowledge that he probably was alone by the river and hadn't had a visitor in years, and it broke his heart. But he didn't know how to go back how to be a part of this world and that one. 
he decided to go for one last visit. He went to the riverside and called out. Within minutes, his friend appeared. He was also twenty and the same height, with the same haircut and the same sharp Sunday suit. But he looked different. No longer like a brother. And he looked more tired, more pale, sad. It's been a long time. I'm sorry, the village boy said. Why have you come now? The poor strange boy knew something was not right. Why are we no longer friends? I, I want us to be, the village boy answered. But I don't know what you are. You wouldn't tell me I was afraid I had to live my life. What I am? The strange boy said, his face contorted with sadness. I am your friend. I know. And the boy from the village could barely get out the next few words. But I can't be yours anymore. And with that he turned away and left the sad, strange river boy who stared at him until he disappeared through the forest and headed into town. Evening came. The boy from the village sat at his lonely dining table with a plate of untouched food in front of him. He had no appetite. His heart was twisted for the cruel thing he had done that day. He was alone. He missed his friend. He did not think he had another choice in the matter, however. He had done the right thing, he kept asserting to himself. He had done what he needed to do to live his life. But then... Why did he hurt so much? Suddenly he heard a scratching at the door. He heard someone whispering his name over and over and over and over. And the scratching turned into a knocking. He heard the whispering turn into speaking. And the knocking turned into a banging. And he heard the speaking turn into a shouting. He knew who it was. He knew the voice. Tears fell from his eyes as he tried so hard to ignore the sounds, to ignore his best friend pleading for entry. He couldn't take it. It was maddening. No, he's a liar and he's a fraud and he must know. In a fit of fury, he got up, knocking over his dinner and his table, and he ran to the door. He opened it, prepared to yell at his friend to go away and leave him alone, but... As soon as he opened the door, he was frozen in place. A creature much taller than him stood, much leaner. His skin was a gleaming, unnatural gray. His eyes were sunken and yellow. His teeth were black, which showed through his sneering mouth. His ears were so long that they extended past his skull and ended in sharply pointed tips. His neck was long. Small onyx horns sprouted from his head. His fingers were the same, long, dirty fingernails, bloody now from clawing at the door. Muddy feet. No clothes. 
He breathed heavily. He must have ran all the way from the cave to here. His yellow eyes showed a deep, profound sadness, however. No malice, no anger. I am here. This is what I am. The village boy looked at the poor, strange boy in front of him. His jaw was locked open, fresh tears now in his eyes of both shock and shame. They stared at each other for what seemed like an eternity until suddenly a shriek came from behind them, which was joined by a shout, which was joined by the hissing of the word, Demon. The strange boy snarled and he took off into the streets. He ran as fast as he could with his hurting bare feet, but he could not outrun the night watch. The men on guard that night caught him and cried out in anger and disgust. They beat him with their fists and with batons. Our village boy yelled at them to stop, but they wouldn't listen. Stop them, hex them, he called to his friend in desperation. But his friend merely smiled through the black blood that had began to spill from his mouth from the beating. He shook his head. God, he wasn't hurting anyone. He didn't want to hurt anyone. So the boy from the village whispered the only hex he knew, the one to make them wordless, which distracted and confounded them long enough for him to rush in, grab his friend by the hand, and run out into the night to the river. The creature, whatever he was, was badly hurt. If he were human, he would have had a broken jaw, rib, nose, arm. And the thing was suffering. He collapsed at the river's side. I'm sorry, he growled as his blood stained the grass beneath him. I shouldn't have come. I shouldn't have left you, the village boy answered. And he wept for his dear friend, his dear friend who had given him such a gift, the gift of the truth, of his true self. Thank you. Go, the strange poor boy said. Go back. The village boy smiled. No. No, my friend. My best friend. My heart. My soul. I'm with you. Never, oh never, my friend, my friend. Will I ever leave you? I will be yours till the end, the end. Forever I'll be yours. No one knew what happened to them after that. The village soon forgot about the strange occurrence. The village boy's family mourned, but recovered. The night watch guards told their story to unbelieving authorities. The townspeople executed their superstitious habits to try and keep the demon by the river out of their homes. They searched the riverside and the woods, but they never found any monster, any demon. Nothing remaining of the boy from the village, and it was forgotten with time. But I came across a cave by a river one night, 
The sky was full of stars and the moon was bright over the water. There was a pile of snail shells and crystals and skipping stones waiting by the river. I took a stone in my hand and I threw it into the cave. And the sound echoed back, back, back to me. I waited for a while, to no avail. Suddenly there was a sound behind me, a gentle disturbance in the water. I turned, and there were two grown men, one human, the other, something else, sitting on the edge of the river, their backs to me. And they sat quietly beside each other, watching the moon. I don't think I've ever envied anyone so much. Good night, my friends. My friends. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of On a Dark Cold Night and for listening to what has probably been the longest and most sentimental episode yet. Um, I appreciate you staying with me on this journey. So guess what, guys? This is week eight. I can't believe it's been two months that I've been doing this. That's crazy. Um, So that means if I have any shot at getting on the new and noteworthy list, which I, I have no idea whether I do or not, but if I do... Um, it would be so wonderful if you could go to iTunes and rate and review the show there, uh, and subscribe as well. If you want to, uh, keep listening, it would mean the world to me. If you want to support the show in a different way, uh, please visit my Patreon page at patreon.com slash dark cold night. Uh, you can make donations there. If you want to keep the show going, help me do this a bit more full time. And as always, please feel free to share the love via social media. I'm at a dark cold night on Twitter and on Facebook, and I'm dark cold night podcast on Instagram. Also, my email is darkcoldnightpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about the show. Also, this week, uh, the episode of The Pitch Off Project that I recorded is coming out. The Pitch Off Project is this really awesome podcast uh, that my friends Leet Stetson and Joseph Beebe do. And uh, it's this really hilarious improv-based concept where we get a theme that we have to build a movie on and two contestants, uh, me and someone else, have to fight out for which of those projects is going to get a green light for, you know, a Hollywood production. So it's really hilarious. Uh, check out the Pitch Off Project. They're on all the social medias um, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please go subscribe to them. Give them a listen. You're going to love the show. It's really hilarious. And finally, I wanted to let you guys know that if you're in the Toronto area, I am performing in a play called Punk Rock. My theater company that I'm a founding member of, the Howland Company, we're called, uh, is producing it. 
and it's running from March 29th to April 14th at Crow's Theater. It's such an awesome show. It's really intense and and like nothing I've ever read or worked on before. Uh, so for information or ticket details, go to howlandcompanytheater.com and check us out. So thank you guys again for listening. I've been a little sick for the past four or five days, so uh, I apologize for any weird blips in there and for all the sniffling that <laughs> I'm doing now. Uh, thank you guys again. It's been an awesome two months, and I can't wait to keep going with this. So thank you. Have a wonderful week and weekend and week after that and the week after that. I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye.